Good morning. Welcome to Monday Morning Talks. Uh, it's been a little while since we've done this. It's been since our Unhindered series, but uh, we're in our Christmas season now. And so you can see the, uh, the festiveness behind us. And this is my favorite time of year. I love our auditorium at Christmas time. I love the event we had yesterday after church with the cookie fundraiser. And I'll just say real quick to celebrate um, what an awesome thing. I know Shirley and Pam and several people put a lot of work into that and it raised over $3,000. Wow. So just an incredible thing for us to continue to be able to bless refugees um, in Poland. But yesterday we started our series talking about the promised one. We're looking at some prophecies about Jesus, all this series from the book of Isaiah. And yesterday uh, you, Mark, you preached and you were in Isaiah 7. Yes. So, yes. Uh, I love doing some of the research on this and Ahaz and Judah and all that stuff and everything. But the thing that jumped out, I mean, I talked about quite a bit was uh, fear. And so overnight, last night, this morning, I did a little more reading on it. Bob Smith, one of our elders, our elders in training, gave me a book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord? Yeah. It's really a good little book because I... I think a lot of Christians, including me, have wondered, what's it mean to fear God? Are we supposed to be afraid of God? And this book actually says, no, fear of the Lord does not mean to be afraid of God. But I did some uh, concordance study, and there's a paradox in the Bible. We are commanded to fear God. Okay, that's very clear, several places. And yet First John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. So it, it almost sounds contradictory. In fact, the most frequent command in the Bible is do not fear. It's, it's more, more commanding than anything else. And yet we're still commanded to fear God. So, so how do we do it? Christ frees us from fear, and yet we're supposed to fear God. And so we need to dig a little deeper into what all that means. So, uh, But I would say part of our misunderstanding of that, and you did a good job in providing the context of Ahaz, but then also like, in really talking about how fear shows up in our lives. Like that's part of our misunderstanding. Like fear, yeah. I think you made the point yesterday, yeah. so much of our lives are dictated by fear. Yeah. Uh, there is, there's a book called The DNA of Relationships. It's really a good book on marriage. And its premise is that behind, I'm going to say every, but it might be just almost every conflict in any relationship, there's an element of fear. There's some kind of fear. Fear is so basic to our psyche. And so in a sense, it makes, it it fits that we should fear God because it is so basic to our psyche, as long as we understand what we're talking about when we talk about the fear of God. And I'm not sure I fully understand it yet. Yeah. But I got a little more insight after reading this book uh, that I got from Bob. Um, One of the things, uh, he he talks about good fear you know, godly fear and sinful fear. Like in James, it says the demons believe, but they tremble. They're afraid. Well, that's not a believing faith that they have. You know, it's, and it's not a right kind of fearing God. Um, and then there's a the good fear. Obviously, like, like Psalm 145, 19 and 20 says, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. And then the very next uh Verse says, the Lord watches all who, who love him. 
So fear and love are actually parallel to each other. So fear is part of loving God. And I think that's hard for us to to put together. Yeah. No, it's difficult. Like even I was thinking about it as you were talking about fear because you talked about phobias, temporal fears, eternal fears, ungrounded fears. And as you were talking about all these fears and when you made that statement like that a lot of our lives can be dictated by, I just even started thinking about like from the perspective of a parent, like how much we parent based on fear. Like there's a healthy fear we want our children to have of us. (laughs) <laughs> that that's just like, I think yeah. help, you know, it's not, I, I don't want my kids to be afraid of me, but I do want them to like, yeah. man, what's dad going to think about this? Like, I was trying to think of an analogy and I, the parent analogy, I think is somewhat helpful in that because, uh, there's a fear <laughs> and again, you don't want to be afraid. And so there's some analogy there, but there's no, I, I can't come up with any clear, good analogy on what it means to fear God. Yeah. Uh, another one I had was uh, when you, we've done plenty of weddings and the groom is usually up there shaking and he's trembling. Now, might be fear of being in front of all those people, of course. But when he sees his bride and she's beautiful and he just loves her with all his heart, that's part of the fear that's going on there. I mean, he's just yeah. in the presence of this wonderful, beautiful being. And I think there's part of that with God. He's so majestic, so powerful. His glory. Uh, yeah. And uh, we just stand I, in the presence. Similarly, of like uh, one of the things that that came to mind, like as you were, you were just saying, like the wedding day thing, like another one for me, it would go back to the parenting thing. But I mean, when our when our first child was born. Oh, yeah. Like the first time I had, I had <laughs> held, I had held children, especially pastorally. Like I've gone sure. and visited couples at the hospital after babies were born and stuff. But like the first time I held my own newborn child, like there was a healthy fear. Yeah. I think of just yeah. like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, well, I did mention most anything, worthwhile in life has an element of fear to it. Yeah. Like getting married or having a child, things like that. So that makes sense. The only, the only thing I'd say about that, and then we can get into the Emmanuel thing is, is fear the best word? And people have used, well, it's not really fear, it's awe or it's reverence or it's respect. But the best translation for that word is still fear. And I think all these other words kind of soften it and make it weaker. Uh, going back to the, groom and the bride well he has respect for his bride well that's you know that's not like trembling intense you know love for this person and i think fear is still the right word or maybe holy dread or something like that but i don't think we should uh water that down and one other thing about it that this book brought out i think it's really important if we don't have fear of god we're really going to have apathy toward him there's a lot of people who believe in God, but don't fear him. And there's a big difference in our approach to him if we don't have the fear of God. Well, and I would say part of what, what makes that fear more of an application then and more of a like gives it more of a realness in our lives is so the, the Christmas prophetic verse that everybody hears almost, you know, yearly 
in the in the church world anyway with Christmas that you that you had in your text yesterday. Yeah, uh, was verse fourteen of chapter seven. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Yeah, and so you know Emmanuel meaning God with us. Um, that's where I think the fear starts to get more real and applicable then instead of apathetic is when you, when you, when God is not this far off distant God, but when he's a present living and active God, when he's God with us, there's that, that's a, that's a difference maker, you know, and, and that's such a hard thing. Like I would say one of the biggest, the greatest difficulties for me as a witness, you know, and, and in sharing my testimony with people so often is like trying to figure out a way to bridge for people who don't know him, the difference between knowing about him yeah. and knowing him. There's a huge yeah. difference there. And Part of where the fear gets brought into that whole thing, you know, I said, I told you, I shared it with you earlier. There was a commentator who quote, I have his quote. I can't remember who the commentator was now when I was studying, but he talked about this idea of Emmanuel. And he said, you know, God comes near to us and surprises us with grace and glory. And I think glory, like you just said a little bit ago, I think glory is one of those words that, is helpful with the fear conversation. You know, glory is this weightiness, this like measured. Yeah. Standard of living. Uh, When, uh, when I think, think of the glory of God, one of the scenes I go back to is Mount Sinai. Uh, God, you know, the mountain is trembling and all that. And fear of God actually comes in there. And, and this, it says, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. So they're really afraid of God. There's fear of God there. I'm not sure it's holy fear, the right kind of fear. And then Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Interesting. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So they're afraid of God, and yet Moses says, it's the fear of God that's going to keep you from sinning, and he's going to be with you and all that. And I'm not sure being afraid of God is the same thing here, but uh, the, the fear of God is going to be good for them in, in that sense. So, And that's when I think of the glory. When we're confronted with the glory of God, it, it should strike some fear into us. Sure. Well, and you even think about the aftermath of that, like Moses spent the most time in his glory there. And, uh, you know, you, even you think about Moses' face radiating yeah. then after yeah. he's been with God and people could tell like, oh my goodness, like. Yeah, I think you know, part of the fear of the unknown, I mean, God is the great unknown in many ways. There's so much we don't know about him. There's always fear of the unknown. And I think that kind of fit in there too. Yeah. But I think part of what the, all of this does for us, like in getting into application then and saying, well, what difference does God yeah. with me make? Yeah. You know, it's just like, that's where getting into the context like you did 
and looking at Ahaz's situation, like there's a lot of worldly problems we find ourselves in the midst of. And much like him, like here's Ahaz going, okay, like there's gonna, it's almost inevitable there's gonna be a war. Yes. Um, and Assyria is coming. And I'm either gonna, I'm either gonna stand with these guys or I'm gonna get in bed with Assyria. Yeah. So that I'm, yeah, and, and and you know you start to you start to realize then like Ahaz is standing here in a situation where he's got two sides going. Well, don't do that. Do this, you know, and and he's standing there going, life's closing in on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a no win situation, and I think that it is true. Like in those situations, that's when the glory of God, like as the commentator said, surprises us then because. Man, only God shows up and does the miraculous in the midst of our our critical Fear, moments yeah. like that. And yeah, so uh, well, I'd be interested how you would have preached this because we talked about this a little bit. How would you progress? Because it's yeah. similar to mine, but there's a little, a little I, different. I, I I just have my notes here. Like I would have probably started with that quote a little bit. I like how you, I, the quote from the commentator. Oh, okay. I think I would have kept trying to come back to that. Um, but that's my style of preaching too. And mm-hmm. my style of preaching is a little bit different than yours. Yeah. So, but I would have probably tried to keep reinforcing that God comes near and surprises yeah. us with grace and glory. And, you know, even, even in that case with Ahaz, even reading the result of what happens and some of what, what Ahaz says later, or, you know, you, um, you start to dig into what, what, what's happening here and what is it actually saying? Like the progression I had of what's going on here is I just had these points that like you're in real trouble. Mm -hmm. That applies to all of our lives. Like, I don't care who you are. You will encounter those moments where you go, man, life's closing in. Like this is not good you will be tempted to handle the situation on your own or by your own power, which is what Ahaz is really tempted to do here. Right. Like, well, you know, and and sometimes I think that's our deal. Like we just like to sit down and go, okay, I'm going to list out the pros. I'm going to list out the cons and I'm going to make a decision here and Mm -hmm. an educated one. And (laughs) I, but I can only see what I can see. Yeah. My third point was don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that, but, but depend on God. Don't do it on your own. God will come to you. you know, if you run to him, he will, he will run to you and, and you know, it'll, it will be a surprise, but he will show up. And even in this verse, verse 14, like we hear the surprise factor of Emmanuel yeah. when God says, Therefore, or, you know, Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord will give himself, give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and bear a son. Like what more surprising way for God, Emmanuel to come than through impossibly being born to a virgin. Yeah. It's the least expected way, you know, and so. And you, you hinted at that some yesterday that it's just like only God's going to do the miraculous. Only God's going to be able to do the thing that it's like, oh, I didn't see that. 
you know, as I sat down and weighed the pros and cons, I was doing that based on what I see, not what I don't see. And with so many stories in the Bible are like that. God yeah. shows up in a surprising way and, oh, you know, and he, he handles it. Yeah. And I had shared with you then, like part of, part of what I was going to use with that was um, an example of one of Jesus' miracles. John chapter two, mm-hmm. water to wine. Um, yeah. You know, Mary comes to Jesus at the wed- at this wedding party and is basically like, hey, I know you're not ready to reveal <clears throat> your true identity yet. I know everybody doesn't, you haven't like arrived, arrived as, you know, the son of God, you right. know, all of these things. But, you know, she's basically just like, they're about to run out of wine, though. Mm-hmm. It's going to be embarrassing. This yeah. party is going to come to an end real, real fast. Yeah. So could you like handle this? <laughs> he says, "Woman." Yeah. And and there's almost like this reaction, of just like, "Fine." Yep. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <mom. laughs> I guess. I guess. And you know, so he goes and he he does this incredible thing where he he turns water, literally water, into wine for the party to continue, but the people are blown away yeah. in this, at this party because they're going, you know, by custom, it was, look, when you go to these wedding parties, the best wine is always served first. Yeah. Cause after a while when everybody's just a little bit tipsy, mm-hmm. well then we'll, we'll fool them and we'll bring out the lesser wine yeah. and they won't notice and we'll be good. <laughs> but these people are blown away cause they're just like, Man, who just brought out the best wine? Yeah. This is better than the wine we were we were drinking before. And yeah. you know, I was telling you, like, I think an application of that for me that, like, I've just noticed a lot um, in in different ways in the last couple of years is just, yeah, he's gonna. That's kind of God's deal there, you know. He, if you think he Emmanuel has surprised you on this earth with good stuff. It's almost like Jesus is giving us, John's giving us this foreshadowing. He's going, man, wait till you taste the wine in eternity. Just wait. If you think you've had the good wine now, like, oh man. And that's a way of fully Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. Fully. So the glory will just, it will blow you away in that context. And so, and then I told you like kind of where I was going to end. And I'll just read it. Okay. But in Second Corinthians chapter four, I think Paul sort of gives us like Emmanuel applied. Mm-hmm. Here's an application of what this looks like. So in in Second Corinthians chapter four, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, uh, but not destroyed. So we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Yeah. So I just think, man. Emmanuel. Yeah. God with us. So next week we'll be in Isaiah 8. 8. Yeah. So hope you all have a good week. And um, yeah, we'll see you then.